0: So one of the things I want to look for are just some nuggets for us to ponder, especially in these times right now. So the first area when we're looking at this is that this is a book, and scriptures in particular, that is to give us insight and wisdom. Now, some of this we also find, as you have studied the Proverbs, as an enigma. And that means kind of a riddle, something to solve, something that has with it um, the need for research, deep ponderings for revelation and spiritual guidance. It actually, as I've described even over in Israel, was what the Lord used in many of the prophetic visions that were given to Daniel. And in fact, many of the prophetic visions that we see that were presented by men of God, they had a mystery to them that weren't yet fully discernible at the time but they were presented in faith. So the Proverbs has that to it, that it has clarity, but at times there is mystery to it. And so what we do is we look at the scriptures and we see how it invites us to perhaps even appreciate the situation that we're in or that the Lord may bring us into. That's what we want to do. So in this particular one right now, not good to show partiality in judgment. How does that apply? Well, the Lord right now is saying simply through this that as we weigh things out, we're not to show a intentional favoritism to the bias of another perspective in what is to be judged. A judgment can render right down the center a decision that takes into consideration two different opinions. At times, as you and I know, you can be the person that lost on that decision. We see that happening in the courts with frequency, even where courts do not necessarily agree with one another. Appellate courts very often can find themselves in a de- disagreement with, ultimately, the Supreme Court. And yet the Supreme Court can make decisions as well in which the lower courts don't agree or the people don't agree. And it can be in those kinds of situations a little bit disconcerting. How can there be so many different decisions, obviously adjudicated, in which it doesn't necessarily make sense? And so what we know is that we have our own minds We have hearts, and what we need to know, even as Wycliffe said, is what the Word of God says. That's really fundamental. Many of the decisions that are made that are errant in terms of what we would say culture and uh, even civil, um, what you would say obedience is a direct result of being confused about what God's heart is. So one of the things we do in in church as we say, what's the Lord's heart in this list? What's he saying? And then we don't argue with what the word says. We may have arguments with one another, although we are to be brokers of peace, there are constraints. And one of those is allow the supremacy of the word of God to anchor you in a decision that may be hard, but that if not made on the premise of absolute truth, it is not variable, it doesn't move with culture, culture is to be moved towards it and changed by it, then we can see that change ultimately can be very good. I believe the Lord is, is in this season right now creating an opportunity for the word to be more relevant than perhaps we've ever appreciated. And that where men are failing in their decisions, God is going to prove himself faithful in changing opinion and mindsets. So that's one thing that I wanted to share with you. We might say, well, this kind of has in it a real contemporary feel. It sounds exactly like where we're at. Because one of the things that's being mentioned in verse 24 is that he who says to the wicked, you are righteous, him the people will curse. So... We've seen that wickedness has had a prevailing expression. We've seen it in protesting certain things. Is the protest wrong? It is wrong if it's not done in peace, because the Constitution affords peaceful protest, not anarchy, not destruction. When those things happen and there's an applause for it, that's sin that needs to be qualified what it is as sin, needs to be rebuked, you need to stand on the word. That isn't the way we behave. That's not constructive to the opinion that you have or to the cause that you are trying to persuade others to have a heart in. And so that's one of the things that we've seen that has caused a skewing of what I believe a fundamental balance is of both law, governance, and the spirit the work of the spirit to convict the heart of the sinner to change in their behavior. And everything should point towards that. Wow, every time man tries to change things and to do so in force and to do so in lawlessness and rebellion, it leads to catastrophe. It leads to enmity. Enmity is the word that God says is the nature of man to be at war with him. And that's what it leads to. When man fights each other and fights institutions that he has established, that would be marriage and government and church, those are the three that we know God has established with certainty as core to our Constitution, uniquely ours in this country, Bill of Rights uniquely ours in this country. How did it come about so uniquely? Because men of God, learning from past experience about being oppressed and suppressed and to being stripped of their rights and freedoms as God-breathed souls, said there's got to be something better and a land in which that betterment can be legislated under God, not apart from God, and not as man in authority over God. And that's one of the things that we see that's very unique. That's why in this paper we are both Christians and we are patriots and we need to be solidly committed that both of them are important for those who are highly political and patriotic. Okay, great. That might be motivational for a moment might be inspiring for an accomplishment, but if you're doing without the other, which is in my opinion, supreme, to being effective in the latter, there's going to be a problem. You can only keep that enthusiasm so long. However, the Christian that says, this is what I do, this is who I am, and I take no interest in the latter of being simply a patriot, well, we've been given an opportunity to have great influence. I mean, we have an awesome opportunity to have a voice of reason, a voice of hope, a voice of power that God has equipped us with, unlike any other nation truly on the face of the earth. Israel would only probably be second to that with regard to how their government is running. But we for sure were ones that by vision of forefathers in the faith and who happened to be statesmen and politicians and they happened to be warriors, but most importantly, they were Christian they develop this as visionaries. It's pretty awesome when you consider it. So what happens then when evil is applauded, partiality and judgment is shown, when nations are abhorring particular individuals and letting others perhaps go free of judgment, when rebuke is not happening to the wicked, and when the wicked have no delight in ordinances does that mean that God has given up? Oh, the Lord has an interesting perspective on this. If you would turn to Matthew 10:34. I want to share that with you. 10:34 This is what the Lord says. 10:34 34, Matthew. Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be those of his own household. Verse 37, he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. Jesus makes a statement that seems to be very almost hopeless. Really? I thought that that is what you are. You are the prince of peace. How could you not come to bring peace? The heralding of peace came from heaven peace on earth God's goodwill towards men so what's happening right now because of that declaration Jesus is simply anchoring himself that without me there can be no peace and the things that I challenge those whom are a part of my creation in their behavior and ultimately the decision they make for me will bring a distinct, Indifference within households within communities within different nations and indifference Towards one another You're going to have a faith that will incite riotous Disagreement even in your own household There isn't really a Christian that has chosen to take up his cross and follow the Lord that hasn't experienced an indifference between some family member or another And so what does that mean? It means God's word is true. So if he did not say that peace is ultimately what you will be satisfied with on earth and among people, it must have another perspective. And he does give that. And this is what I want to show. So if you would, turn now to John 14, 27. promises the sword, and says that peace with regard to your expectation of how society you have a hope and seeing play out, this is actually what he promises you and I as believers. Peace. I leave with you my peace. I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. He promises us a peace that within us governs us and the governing of our hearts by his peace that he establishes within us provokes those who are seeking peace in the streets, seeking a difference in their world and achieving it by means that are carnal and that are destructive or misleading. Now, we've seen this, we can trace this. All the, I, the the best image that I have is the 60s because I have a, a better than faint remembrance of it. But in those days at that time with the Vietnam War going on, there were riots in the streets. There was the same kind of destruction that we see today. Indifference, unbelievable in homes and communities. And so this repetition that you're seeing is really just another form of upheaval. And it would be considered on a prophetic level a birth pang. There's a lot of people right now keeping tuned in to the prophecy of the Lord and His return. And seeing that things are pointing towards ultimately the return of the Lord and the bringing up of His church. From the earth but while we're here we are to be those who have a heavenly perspective and also an eternal peace that he's given to us because if not we will join the banter we will find ourselves in the parades of protests we will say things that ultimately would be regrettable and what we want to do is with the peace of God hold our peace, but to pray. One of the things that the Lord said to do with regard to peace is pray for the peace of Jerusalem. What if he said, if you would do that, if you would pray for the peace of Jerusalem, I will do this. I will grant an overwhelming peace that will have for you an encouragement in the things that right now are at unrest and in warfare and leading to destruction. I wonder how many of us would say, I didn't know that. You didn't say that if we prayed for the peace of Jerusalem, that it would have a reciprocating effect and that we would have peace for our nation. I wonder. But it's fascinating to me. At any rate, this is what the Lord has said. And I think that in these times where we can see so many things that are leading to conflicts, oh, Lord, how can we be settled? And he would say, because I spoke it. You have my word and you have my spirit. Receive peace, receive peace. What do I do with it? Don't be alarmed. Don't be affected by what you see on the outside expression of men. Pray for them that their desire is to have me as the Prince of Peace on the throne of their life in which whatever they're going through will be settled in heaven and I find that to be encouraging. Let me take you to another area right now, which is important. So move down with me, returning to the Proverbs, and the giving of the right answer, who kisses the lips. This brings us back to the way the scripture's open today. This actually in the terms of the kissing of the lips is actually a form of worship. Worship actually means to turn and to kiss. So though we look at this and it might have a romantic sense to it it actually is a very worshipful statement that when we are those who have a right answer for someone not just an answer and certainly not a wrong answer it is an act of worship so we want to be careful about how we voice things too quickly I think one of the best things that we can do in these times when people have questions or even irritations and they're wanting comfort and you're the one they want to hear words from We can say I'm not sure or in this moment. I don't know what to tell you, but let me do this Let me pray with you. Let me pray with you over this situation that God will give you his answer and That in the answer that you receive from the Lord. You also will have his peace let's start there and So when you don't know where to start and in particular where it says that an answer that is right is as kissing the lip it is an act of worship when you turn people to the Lord and when you direct them and what may be for you and I don't know a moment I don't know but I do know the Lord and I know he has an answer and he will guide you and he will guard your heart and he will do that Philippians says with the peace that surpasses all understanding moving down to this Prepare your outside work, make it fit for yourselves in the field, and afterwards, build your house. The Lord says that there's a preparatory work that's responsible to do, to be engaged in. And so one of the things that we also do is say, well, I have an interest obviously in my house, and I know that there's preparations that I need to be about in doing. God would say, as you feel towards your house, feel towards my house. There's always something that points us to him when in fact it touches our hearts. Who would not want to say, huh, preparing my outside work, make it fit for yourself in the field, and afterwards build your house. That sounds like God's authorizing me to have my place in the world, a spot, a habitation. And when we think about what that makes us feel like, then God would say, so what do you think it makes me feel like? when you're taking care of my field, and you're planning for my work, and you're really interested in my house. Just that reciprocating, that's the way my heart was touched in this. See, sometimes the very things that you think you're doing and it's all for you is actually what God is saying. I'm glad you're enjoying what you're doing, because I enjoy it too. I enjoy the creative work of your hands, of the joy that it gives you, of the hope that you have I see in you some artistic expression I definitely hear your spiritual mm-hmm. heart and to me this is speaking of that but the reciprocating of God both in praying for his people his land his peace and also in the preparation of what you do with what you have for what God wants to say ah, now you know the way I feel I'm excited about what I'm doing in my house continuing on this do not be a witness this is verse 28 against your neighbor without cause for you would deceive for who would deceive with your lips do not say I will do to him just as he has done to me I will render to the man according to his work well these are principles that Jesus taught do unto others as you would have others do unto you and quit being concerned about necessarily being, A snitch on what they're doing or not doing. Pray for them. Get to know them. We It is right that on areas of security we have people in place for that but what we're finding to be true in these times right now is that no one cares about their neighbor and what they care about is a consequence for their neighbor and so We need to be about what Jesus said. The way that we want to be treated, the way that we want to be assessed, is without bias. It's with consideration. How good it is when our goal is to be able to say, with care and consideration, I thought of you. Where I could have judged you, and I have. I'm going to overlook that. I'm going to judge myself first then I'll rightly be able to forgive you and what at one time was a severity of thought towards you. It's just the way that the Lord would say is the way we ought to be. When we employ that as a discipline and as a true expression of our belief, doesn't that make good neighbors? It is true, we're in a society right now, and I'm not going to ask for hands to go up, but I'll bet many of us couldn't name all of our neighbors. If you're living in kind of suburbia, i bet you it'd be difficult for you to name all of your neighbors by first name, basis. I can't. I can name maybe three or four. Because they walk their dog, and their dog is interested in our dog. And that's what drew us together. But even in that, I can't name all of them. I don't know them. And I'm not boasting, and I'm saying, man, room to improve. Why is it that we're that way? Because guess what? We're media-saturated. Unlike times before, which people drew together to have fellowship, we get all the fellowship that's artificially available to us. We get so much in our inbox, we have nothing to put in the outbox. We're just done. We're topped off. All we want, guess what, is a lake (laughs) and a boat, a campsite, a trailer. We want to get away from it. All we want to get away from them. But we will tolerate one another because we're somewhat pleasant with one another. But the Lord says, neighbors, what do you do with them? It's a good start by what you do with one another here. Don't be a witness against. What about being one that's a testifier of the goodness of God? Growth in a church happens because actually that's what's going on. When somebody has that particular personality or lifestyle, perhaps rightfully able to be judged, And you choose to testify to them of the goodness of God, and it changes them. You've got a good neighbor. You've done a good work. I went by the field, last verses of the lazy man, and by the vineyard of the man devoid of understanding, and there it was, all overgrown with thorns. Its surface was covered with nettles, its stone wall was broken down. When I saw it, I considered it. I considered it well. I looked on it and received instruction, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. So shall your poverty come like a prowler and your need like an armed man. And so this speaks of a spiritual picture as well. Turn to John chapter 4, verse 35. I'm mean, actually pick it up in verse 34, but see how this works pictorially. Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. So we have this picture of the home, the field prepared, and then the land ready to build that house. And now we have something extending beyond that. This great opportunity of land before us but it seems to be devoid of productivity. It seems to have have neglect upon it. And the Lord continues on in this theme. Do you not say there are, or there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for the harvest. And he who reaps receive wages and gathers fruit for eternal life that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this saying is true. One sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored and you have entered into their labors. This land that Proverbs describes right now, this Vineyard that's overgrown This thing that has not been what it was intended to be can be anchored in what the Lord would say is the harvest And what is the harvest the harvest is the work that God is doing through the lives of people like you who are diligent laboring for him planting the Word of God in the soil of men's heart that the spirit waters and creates in that growth. And it is a mystery. How does he do that? And who does he do it through? Well, he does it through your connections. And so we're always able to to know exactly, per se, the effectiveness of the church and also our own effectiveness by how often we encounter what we see here, what the Proverbs are saying. I observed, and this is what I observed, unfruitful land, walls that were broken down. And so one of the things that we want to say is, as a church, are our walls broken down? Are we a church that is growing more thistle and thatch, overgrown, rather than fruit that should be borne by a work of the Spirit? I find this encouraging, but it's also sobering, because it does tell us there is a work to do, and that's to pray for the church and our effectiveness in these times right now, where the institution of the Church itself is being broken down. It is. And so we know that that's not God's will, but it may be the will of the people. It may be a sign in which, at one time, a work that was effective and that was flourishing becomes literally one weed at a time, one thistle at a time, one stone out of place at a time, dysfunctional, no longer effective. As he considered it, simply looking a little sleep, a little slumber, meaning that would be either indifference or just not participating. How good it is that there's participants in the church today through those that see, through those that sit. Don't give up. It doesn't mean you can't sleep, that's obviously ridiculous. This means that there's apathy, you just don't care. As long as you care, then you're awake. And as long as you're awake, then God can awaken someone else to a work that's ready to be done. And I just think that this is awesome again, that though there is poverty lurking, and it says and equates it to a prowler, for those that are laboring for the Lord and are remaining diligent, there's production, there's fruitfulness, there's reward. So I felt really impressed that in all the things that we have talked about, to go through that today was so timely, just in how it walks us through encouragement.